Well, we are in our Advent series called Son of God. And uh, over this Advent, we are, we are taking an intentional look at, at not just the, the circumstances surrounding Christmas, not just the, the Christmas story and the shepherds and the wise men. We are taking an intentional look at, at the baby in the manger. Who is this baby? And why is it important that Jesus comes to earth when he does? Why is it important that, that, that the Son of God comes to earth in, in, in human flesh? Why is this important? And what, what, are, what do we miss sometimes when we don't focus on that? You know, sometimes I feel like our, our, our culture and even sometimes our churches are confused about Christmas. You know, we read the story about the, about the humility and the, the poverty of a stable and a baby that was born into that. And yet we look around and all we see is, is advertisements about just how to indulge ourselves this Christmas. The newest technology, the newest thing that, that we just have to have and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but, but we forget that of the, of the humility and the, the poverty that, that Jesus was born into. I think sometimes we even we want to focus on the right things. We want to focus on, on the, the real reason for Christmas. We want to really focus on Jesus. And sometimes we just, we just miss it a little bit. And so that's why I, I want to focus during these, the, well, this week and next week, it was already spent two weeks, talking about, talking about just Jesus. That, that, the, that the mystery in Christmas is not just about the, the, the events surrounding Christmas, but it's in, in who, the identity of this baby that's in the manger. Who is this Jesus? What is this all about? Why is this important? And so over the last two weeks, uh, over, the last, over the series, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. But over the last two weeks, we've, we've really kind of hit on verse 6 and verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2. Right? Verse 6 is, is, is uh, basically explaining who God is. 6 and 7 explaining who Jesus is. Right? Who being in very nature God is in verse 6. Right? We talked about the, the divinity of Jesus. That this baby in the manger is none other than God himself. Right? That this baby in the manger is, is fully God. That he doesn't have to, to take off any of, his, any of his godness, if you will, to be this baby in the manger. He doesn't have to take off anything. He is in his very nature. The very being of who he is is divine. Right? That, that this Jesus in the manger is the word of God. He is the, the author of life. He is the light of the world. And then last week, we, we read verse 7, and we kind of dove into verse 7, right? Who, who, who takes on the nature of a servant or of a slave. Right? We talked about the, the humanness of, of Jesus. That as Jesus becomes human, it's not that Jesus is taking off part of his divinity or part of his godness. It's that instead he's taking on our humanity. He's taking on who we are. And as such, as as someone who has taken on our humanity, he, he can relate to us. As someone who's taken on our humanity, he is so much higher than us, but he relates to us on such an intimate level that, that he, he has intimate concern for our lives. He, he identifies with our suffering. He identifies with our sadness. He identifies with us in our times of need. And what an amazing truth that is. So this week, we, we move forward a little bit, and we pick it up in verse 8. But I'd like, to, I'd like to read the whole thing again. So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read our, our key passage for this, this month. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5. 
and your relationships with one another have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. That's kind of the, the lead in there. And then it talks about who this Jesus is. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 8 is our key verse for today. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's a lot that I want to talk about this morning. But I think the, the first thing I want to lead off with is this. I, I want us to notice this, this about Jesus, that he, he humbled himself. Right, that, that no one humbled Jesus. Like no, there was nothing and no one that humbled Jesus except for Jesus himself. It was an action that he took. There are a lot of things, I think, in our lives that humble us, right? A lot of things that happen uh, to us in our lives that humble us. I remember uh, one time I was in high school. I was, a, I was an athlete in high school. I played basketball. I, I loved basketball. I was second in the league in three-pointers uh, my senior year. I, I was good at basketball. I was an athlete, right? And so uh, at my church in, in Auburn, California, there's this, there's this man named Bob. And Bob is an older gentleman who, uh, who I love dearly. He's, he's been a, a great influence on my life. But he plays tennis. And so one day he challenged me to a tennis match. And I thought, come on. Come on now. There's no chance that I'm going to lose to Bob in tennis. Right? I'm just, there's, there's no chance this is going to happen. And so we got out on the tennis court and I started to play with him and I thought, there's a chance that I might lose to Bob in tennis. <laughs> it took about two minutes for me to realize, man, Bob is really good. Bob's been playing tennis his whole life and I, I have been playing basketball my whole life. I don't even know a thing about tennis. How foolish of me to think that I could beat Bob in tennis. But he just, he wiped the floor with me in tennis that day. And I just remember being, being humbled in that day thinking, man, how foolish of me to be able to think that. Just because, honestly, it was just because he was older than me. That was, that was how naive I was at that point. He was older and I thought I was more athletic. I thought I was better. I thought I could do whatever. I'm a high school senior. I can do whatever I want. Right? But I was humbled that day. There, there's circumstances in our, in our lives that are, that are much more serious than that even, that, that humble us in our lives. There are times when we go through circumstances or we go through, through troubles in our lives or something happens, we, we lose a job or we, we do something and it's really humbling to us. I, I want us to understand this morning that, that Jesus, he wasn't humbled by a circumstance. He wasn't humbled by, by anybody else. Jesus, it says he, he humbled himself. And I want you to kind of hear this even in Jesus' words. Jesus, Jesus even says this in John chapter 10. If you turn with me to John chapter 10, Jesus says something very similar to this in verses, starting in verse 17. He says this, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life 
only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. The command I received, this command I received from my Father. Basically, no one's taking my life from me. I am laying down my life. I am doing this. This is, not, this is not anybody that's taking this from me. This is me doing what I'm called to do. This is me obeying the command of my Father. I am laying down my life. I am humbling myself. Right? This isn't, no, one, no one humbled Christ. No one takes Jesus' life from him. He humbled himself. He lays down his own life. I think some of us, what does this even mean? If, if Jesus is humbling himself, what does this even mean? I think some of this we've already talked about over the last couple of weeks, right? I think about the imagery again of Jesus, the, the creator and the author of all things, coming down as a baby in a manger and relying on the creation that he has created and sustained to now sustain him. How, how humbling would that be? I think we, we see this. I think that's, that's, that's part of that. That's what this means. Here's, here's the creator of the world who comes to earth and is not even recognized by the people here on the earth. Right? Yes, there are some who get it. There are some who, who grasp what is happening. Right? But, but here is the creator of the world who is, who's come down and, and, and people don't even recognize him. His glory is known throughout all the universe. Right? All the universe sings his glory. All the universe sings his praise. And he comes to earth and people don't understand who he is. Right? As evidenced by the time he goes back to his hometown to do ministry. Right? And people see him and they, they recognize him and they say, Hey, isn't this, this is Joseph's son. This is the carpenter's son. Isn't that his brother right there? Like, I, 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 this is just a normal person. Right? They didn't see him for, they didn't see him for who he was. I think, I think we see this humility not just in the way that, that he subjected his, himself to this creation like we were just talking about, but, but also I think we see the humility of Jesus in the way that he subjects himself to the will of the Father. How you look, at, you look at this, and all over John, we see this imagery. John chapter 3. We're just going to shoot through John real quick. John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And God did not, God, God sent the Son. Right? God, Jesus, Jesus came because God sent him. Right? Think of, of verse 34 in chapter 3. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Right? The one whom God sent. Right? Turn over to chapter 5, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Right? We see over and over, all in, there are over 30 different times just in the book of John that Jesus talks about being sent by the Father or being submitted to the Father's will. Right? We see Jesus, and in, in, in Jesus we see humility, not only to come and be subject to his own creation, but to come down and be subject to the will of the Father. 
Right? He's submissive to creation. He's submissive to God. And, and what this does is it makes it possible for, for our eternal privilege as children of God. Right? Here's, here's, here's one of the... I think, I think there's really three moves that we get to see in, in, the, in the Christmas story. That Jesus, Jesus coming down into the manger, I think there's really three moves. And here's, here's, here's the first move that I was talking about this whole time. From exaltation, Jesus is exalted... And then he humiliates, not humiliates himself, he humbles himself so that you and I might be exalted. Right? Jesus is, is exalted. He is one with the Father. He humbles himself to come. He makes himself subject to, to, to the creation, subject to the Father's will, so that we might be exalted. Exalted to humility to exalted. There's this movement. All throughout John you see it. But he's submissive to creation. He's submissive to God the Father. And it makes it possible for us to be adopted as children. I think this is powerful. I think if you look in, in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, here's a trustworthy saying, verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. But if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Right? Jesus comes down, and we'll talk about some of this later. Right? He comes down, and let's go to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit... That we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? We see that Jesus, Jesus is exalted. He humbles himself, comes to earth, submits himself to creation, submits himself to God the Father. So that we as we, take, as we take his example and as we claim what we're about to talk about, that we might also be exalted. I think that's, that's a great movement of Christmas. Here, here's the, the second movement of, of Jesus at Christmas. Jesus and the baby. Here's the second movement. Jesus goes from life to death so that we might live. Goes from life to death so that we might live. Now we get into the heart of what Christmas is all about. The heart of what Christmas is all about. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all people. Right, we're talking about Jesus. I'll start at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know in verse 14 that he's talking about Jesus, right? The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all people, right? We have Jesus being the life. Jesus is life. 
Then you go to, to Philippians chapter 2, our, our scripture for today. And what happens? Jesus, being found in appearance as a human being, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to what? To death. And not just any death, but death on a cross. Right, this, this is, this, we take a few steps into the Christmas story here to see some implications, I think. All right, if you turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. And I want, us to, I want us to catch this. Jesus goes from life to death so that we might live. I think when we, when we think about the baby in the manger, we think about the, the magnitude of Christmas, we, we think about how God reveals himself to us through his son. That's kind of the common thought of Christmas, is that in Christmas... God reveals himself to us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Right, but in, in fact, this, this, this idea that, that, that Jesus is coming, his birth, right? this, this idea that, that this life that Jesus lived, the sinless life that he lived, that that alone, I, I want us to get this, that alone, this sinless life that Jesus came and that he lived has no redemptive, no redemptive anything for us. Jesus' is perfect life. Jesus, if Jesus only comes to the manger to live the perfect life, there's no redemptive value in that for us. It's not enough that Jesus would come and to, to live a perfect life. And in fact, there's, there's actually a, a lot of things that Jesus came to do that actually don't have anything to do with our salvation. Right? Jesus came to, to teach truth. He came to... To, to, to tell about his father's kingdom. He came to heal the sick. He came to, to have the blind see. He came to, to have the hungry be fed, right? Jesus came to care for the outcasts and the people that no one else cared for. Right? And ultimately, Jesus' purpose was this. Jesus was born, laid in a manger, so that one day he might humble himself to being obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus was born to die. I think whenever we look at a nativity scene, I want us to, to grasp the gravity of this. All right, maybe you have a, a, a picture, maybe you have a nativity scene in your house. I want you to, when you look at that nativity scene, I want you to see that, that the baby in the manger came, came to die for you and for me. And this is what Christmas is all about. For, I think we have sometimes given Christmas just that we've, we've basically put the glitter and the glitz on Christmas for a long time. How we look at it and we have a lot of fun talking about Christmas and the Christmas story and, and it's all about the, the gift of Jesus. Man, isn't that just a great gift of Jesus? Man, I, I just love the gift of Jesus. It was just wrapped up so nicely in swaddling clothes and, and the baby Jesus in the manger always just looks so perfect. But in reality, this, this baby in the manger came to die. 
I think we miss that sometimes. But, you know, but, but if you read the story, really, in Matthew chapter 2, people got it. People understood this. The, the wise men, they, they got it. All right, let, let's read this real quick. In Matthew chapter 2, of course I turned away from it again. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Right? These, these magi, the, the wise men, right? they come and they, they go see King Herod. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I, wanna, I want you to see the, the three gifts here. Right, these, these wise men, the, the magi, they come and they, they lay these gifts at the feet of Jesus. And this imagery is just so good. Right, they come and, and the first gift that they lay is gold. And I just have this picture in my mind. I was thinking about this this morning of, of this, this, this stable where a baby has just been born. Right? This is a, a newborn baby. They come to visit Jesus in this stable. It's dirty. It's gross. There's probably poop on the floor. And alongside, they, they lay down their gold. It's a gift fit for a king. It's a, it's a, it's a royalty kind of thing. It's a, it's a gift for royalty. They are basically telling Jesus, God, Jesus, you, you, are the, you are king. You are our king. They lay down frankincense. And this imagery is really cool too. You look at the Old Testament references to, to frankincense. You understand this is, a, this is an incense that was... That was that was burned at the Holy of Holies. And this is a picture of, of, of an incense that, and they're laying down this incense, in, in essence saying this is, this is the new one who will intercede for us. Right, the Holy of Holies is a place where, where God's glory is known, where they come and they, they lay their knees, they lay their, their sacrifices at, at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of, and the temple. And so they bring this frankincense, this, this incense, and they lay it at Jesus' feet. And they say, now you are, you are the interceder. And then they lay down myrrh, which is a super weird gift to give a baby. You may or may not know this, but myrrh was used as an ointment for, for funeral preparations. It was a burial ointment, that's what it was. I mean, can you imagine? Had a baby shower. You're sitting there and you're opening gifts. Someone gives you some burial ointment for your baby. I would just be. I would. I would be upset. <laughs> honestly, I would be upset. What are you doing, giving me this? This is like a bad omen, right? I mean, what do you? What is this? Why would? Why? How dare you give me this for my baby? I think the wise men knew something there. Jesus was, was born to die. And not only was he born to die, he was born to die on a cross. 
which is the most shameful death, the most shameful way to go. Right, born, dying on a cross is, is a shameful death. Cicero, one of the leaders at the time, said, Far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from thought, the eyes and the ears of Roman citizens. Right, Cicero, one of the leaders of the Romans at that point said, basically, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want to hear about it. Right, this is such a shameful way to die. Actually, Romans couldn't die that way. It was meant for, for people who weren't even, of, uh, weren't even Roman. It was meant for, for people that, like the worst of the worst are people that died on a cross. Right, and it was a painful death. This is not just a, an easy way to go on a cross. This is a painful death. You don't, you don't, on a cross, you die from suffocation. Right, you don't die from, from the wounds. You don't die from being hung there. You, you die from the suffocation of trying to, trying to keep yourself upright and just not being able to do it anymore. That's why if you lasted too long on, on a cross, they would come and they would break your legs so you couldn't push yourself up to get air again. This is a nasty way to die. And Jesus humbles himself to death, even death on a cross. But the great thing about this is that at the cross, Jesus' shame becomes our honor. And at the cross, Jesus' pain becomes our joy. Right, Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. Right, 1 Peter 2, 22 and 25, by his wounds we are healed. Right, Hebrews chapter 2, if we go back to Hebrews, we were there last week. But if you go back to Hebrews with me. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. I don't think we understand this, that, that Jesus was born so that the power of him who holds the power of death would be broken. Jesus was born, born to die. I love this, these movements of Jesus in Christmas. Right, we see this movement of, of Jesus being exalted, but humbling himself so that we might be exalted. We see this movement of, of Jesus being life, humbling himself to a point of, of death. Why? So that we might live. This is the Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. This is, this, is the G, this is the Son of God that was born on Christmas morning, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the, the Jesus that was foretold. This is the Messiah that has come. The Messiah has come. We no longer are controlled by the power of sin and by the power of death because the Messiah has come. Christmas is so much more than what we've made it, I think. Christmas is really about God's grace. There was a story of, uh, there was a conference. And at this conference, there was, there was being debated 
They were trying to figure out what makes Christianity unique. What is it that makes Christianity unique? There was a, there was a man at this conference, his name was C.S. Lewis. And he was asked this question. What is it that makes Christianity unique? And he said, oh, that's an easy one. One word. Grace. One word. Grace. That's really what we're talking about this morning. What makes Christianity different? It's grace. It's the fact that, that God would, would humble himself into these moments. This, this God who is exalted would humble himself so that we might be exalted. It's that this God, this God of life, would humble himself even to death on a cross so that we might have life. This is grace. This is a picture of grace. Christmas is a picture of grace. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the Son of God. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the one who is to, to save us from our sins, the one who defeats and, and, and defeats the power of sin and the hold of sin on our lives. Is defeated, it's done because of Christmas. Now the job is finished at Easter, right? But it starts right here in the manger. So my prayer for us this week is as we go, that every single time that we see a nativity, every single time that we even, it, it, it's all over the place if you look for it. And as much as the, the culture goes away from, from Jesus and more towards Santa, there's always a nativity around. And every time you see the nativity, I want you to think about the grace of God. I want you to think about the moment that you realized that Jesus was your Lord and Savior. Because it started long before that day or that night that you made that decision. It started in the manger. When God sent his son to live on earth, to live the perfect life, to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve to die, that's where it started. Let's not forget about the Son of God this Christmas. Next week we finish it up. And I love how we finish this up. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And amen. I'm excited for next week. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we, uh, we're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the gift that we have at Christmas of, of seeing this baby in the manger, the baby who came to, to defeat sin, to defeat death that we might have a right relationship with you again, God. 
God, our prayer this week is that as we see nativity, as we think of, of the manger, as we think of Jesus, that it wouldn't just be a, a, a story that we learned in Sunday school about these, this, this amazing star and the, the, the shepherds and the wise men. It's all, it's all great. It's a great story. But God, this year may we focus on the baby in the manger. And may we reflect on the gift that we have in that baby Jesus. On the Son of God. God, we love you. And we don't deserve the love that you give us. But we pray that as we go forward, that we will be able to bestow that love on other people. That the love that we feel, that the love that we know, that we have from you, would move forward and move through us, God. That you'd be able to reach people through us. God, I pray that this week someone would come to know Christ because of someone at this church. How we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as we go, just let me pray this prayer of blessing over you. May the God who loves you enough to send his son in a manger go with you, go ahead of you this week. May you remember the day that you said yes to God. May you remember it every single time you see a manger. And as you go, may you make a difference in others' lives. May you be bold for Christ. Go in peace this morning. Amen and amen.